Hello everyone and welcome to episode 5 of In My Life, the podcast here on WFI where a guest gets to um, pick out some of their best and worst moments uh, football related on a subject entirely of their choosing. Now normally my co-host would be here to help me introduce and uh, question our guest, however this week (laughs) my co-host is our guest, so instead I'm getting starting to get confused here. My co-host is my guest, so our standing co-host is Ali Thompson. Hi, Ali. Blame, blame Adam Brandon for all this, by the way. All this confusion, firmly yeah. at the feet of Adam Brandon. It doesn't. It doesn't take much, but I'm confused. I know Ali's here anyway. Hello, Andy. How are we doing? I, I'm not so bad, mate. Not so bad. This should be fun because I mean, you were our guest on the first ever in my life, and and it was a you know it was dominated by Liverpool. Understandably so, uh, but tonight our guest is normally the co-host, along with myself. It is, of course, Dave Karen. So, Dave, welcome along to your show. Thanks for thanks for having me on my show, Andy. I feel humbled and honoured <laughs> to be here. <laughs> and if you're all still following at home, you're probably smoking the same stuff as Dave. Yeah, and I'm going to take you way back in time. I'm going I'm going to test your boys' memories here on this one. Of course, like we say, you know, in my life, it's all about um, some of the best and worst on the chosen subject. So go on. Is your chosen subject Liverpool related in any fashion? Uh, the first one will be, but you'll be, yeah, I think, you know, well, there's a bit of bitterness involved in some of the negatives um, from, from maybe a Liverpool point of view. But there is really only one real sort of Liverpool topic uh, that, that I'm going to bring today. And it'll, it'll be the first one as well. I'll be honest, look, I already know what they are, so I was just teasing. And said, yes, of course, naturally, Dave, as a Liverpool fan, there is Liverpool in there. But Dave, also as a proud Northern Irishman, and Dave living in Brazil, is taken well within the spirit of this podcast. And it is a story of his life played out in football on the best and the worst moments in there. And I know it's going to be a great listen. So why don't you kick us off then, Dave? We'll start with a positive, your first one. Well, I'm probably going to take you back before you were born, actually. Uh, I to, wish. To, to March uh, 1977. And this was where, basically, I started following football, really, and where my love affair with, with Liverpool really began. And it was the European quarterfinal against St. Etienne. To set the scene for you, we didn't have the multimedia world that we had today. You know, we were very lucky to see 10 live games of football a season on television um, outside of, of the FA Cup final. But European football was one of those times that we got live football and Liverpool were in the, the old European Cup, which was a straight knockout back in those days. And they had, were drawn against St. Etienne, who today aren't really what you would class as a fashionable team in France, but back then were quite a formidable formidable outfit. Um, they'd been runner-up the year before to Bayern Munich. Uh, we had gone there in the away leg and and lost 1-0. So I think still to this day, it's one of those games that, that's sort of classed as one of the best atmospheres ever at Anfield. Basically, what happened during the course of the game Kevin Keegan put a, a sort of a ropey cross in about two minutes, which happened to just sort of beat the keeper and go into the corner. And we were 1-0 up. And I say the atmosphere just grew in this game. And, and do you know, it, it, I think it was that that was really what caught your attention was this passion coming from, from, from you know, Liverpool were a big team still. It was the start of, start of this golden era for us. And, you know, there was, a, there was an appetite, there was a hunger about that crowd. 
Sinetian then went on to uh, to, to equalise, which meant we needed two to, to go through, and you know, to sort of somewhat deflated the stadium, but it didn't kill the atmosphere. Ray Kennedy then brought us back to two one, and and then one of my favourite ever cult players to ever play for Liverpool, Davy Fairclough, came off the bench and did was christened super sub on the on the on the back of this as he did uh, throughout that in the next season. You know, he used to come off a bench and score us some really important, really sort of late goals. Uh, and he made it 3-1 for us to progress. And, you know, really the rest of that is history. It was, you know, really the start of our European adventure. The golden years of Europe, as I would call them, you know, and league titles at that time as well were just commonplace. It was, it was, it was expected, you know, it, very different to the world we live in today. But it was the moment that I connected with Liverpool and connected with, with that team and, and with that set of fans who were so so passionate, I can't put into words. You can find it on YouTube, I'm sure, the, the whole game. And it's just one of those really, really special Anfield nights. I've seen a few of them. I've been lucky enough to be at a few of them since then. But that is what brought me in. It's what really started me with football. The, the 78 World Cup after that uh, drew me in completely. But but that was really my first experience of football. Ali, was that a little bit before your time? Yeah, just a little bit. As they say, I mean, do you don't even know the folklore around it, Ali? Even, yeah, I know, I know the story, and I, I mean, I've I've read enough on it, and I've I've seen enough, as you say, Dave, YouTube videos, um, which is obviously what like my era grew up on, and how we got to see all these old clips and get to study it. So, yeah, I know enough of it. Obviously, the first European Cup win that we had, and um, but I, I mean, that's almost ten years before I was even born. So, you're talking, you know, nearly twelve, thirteen years before I. I started getting into football properly, um, but just no one likes to show off, Ali. It's, it's nothing to show off about because it means I've seen all the negative <laughs> side of Liverpool, and, and you know, not these glory years that that folk get to talk about. So it's one of the it's, it's pro, it's, as much as a positive. It's, it's one of my negatives in life that I I, I missed this era and missed all like hearing Dave talk about it and a few others on Twitter or the older ones. You know, it's you'd have just loved to be around at that time. Um, just even like as Dave says the atmosphere around the grounds back then uh, I mean for you Andy I mean how old were you at the time? I, I was two at the time so right. I was coming up to so I I certainly wasn't watching it but Did you spit your dummy out? you <laughs> 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 watching Yeah it's I still see I, I remember watching it endless uh, countless times like you say you know this all this was well before the digital area and and i grew up in a time where there would be a match on a there'd be one match on live on a sunday and that was it you know the big match live one match on a sunday and you get the highlights on match of the day and so i had a vhs copy of the official liverpool uh, official history of liverpool and i watched that i god knows how many times i watched it so yeah that image of of super sub San Etienne, it's I've seen it so many times, and and I know there's people years later who had been to at that point had been to you know four um, European Cup finals and been through all of that and all those great moments, and they still went back to that match against San Etienne and said that that match nothing was ever quite like that night, so it must have been a pretty unique atmosphere. 
it was it was the scene. Like, you know, I, I I watched it on television as a kid, like I was eleven years old. But it was the scene of a sea of people, this body of it's just one unit of just moving, and it didn't matter what angle of the ground you watch it from. Even even in the seats, people were standing. You know, European night at Anfield. Um, you know, we can still stand on the cup for a European night, or used to be able to when I was back there. The stewards didn't push that aspect of it, but just this this mass of people and, and crawling over each other as you scored. It was real old. You know, health and safety today wouldn't wouldn't permit for it. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some crazy fucking rules that, that would forbid it. But you know, it's just an atmosphere you just don't see a tribalism that's been nearly stamped out of the, of the game, and 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 there was just some regret. Because the people that went to the games in those days, like they were, they were loud, passionate supporters, and mostly citizens as well. You know, they the talk about day trippers these days that, that go to games and so on. These were all mostly local people um, supporting their local club, and and you know that passion back then, just in today's world, can never be replaced. I mean, it's quite a nice segue actually to take us into a negative. And normally we like to indulge in the negative side of things, but this is this is quite one that I'm keen to. I'm intrigued to to hear your twist on then, because your your first negative. I mean, we've just been talking there about the atmosphere, how how you know you're saying about standing and seats and all the rest of it. Your your first negative is the loss of terraces at football. Absolutely, it is. Um, I, coupled with the basic gentrification of, of football in general, um, you know, obviously the eighties were were a really 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 bad time for football. But I always felt that, you know, when with all these all seater stadiums came in, you know, after the report and, and you know, football was changed uh, going into the 90s, repackages the Premier League and so on. And, and this money trail began, you know, th- they did it at the expense of, of genuine people who, who loved this game and, you know, pushed it out of out of the price range. They gentrified it to the point that we all sat like in a theatre. But it takes away the spirit for me of a football match. Uh, it takes away, you know, I remember standing on terraces in the 80s with people with their kids and their shoulders. And, you know, there was a, it was almost a community um, feel to, to attending a football match. Uh, even as an outsider, you know, uh, you know, we, we get a lot of stick around social media about, you know, people going, day trippers going to football matches and football tourists and all the rest. So back in the 80s, you know, I used to take a boat from Liver- or from Belfast to Liverpool, um, you know, a near-hour slow boat and, and go and stand. Um, on a cop, I was lucky enough to be on there. Tickets never used to be that big a problem back then either. That was that was the other side of it, and there was just a, it was a better way of going. Um, it was a, it was a much more passionate way to support your team. I much prefer to stand at any sporting event. Um, it's why I always used to go to the rugby because you can stand, um, and and I think that if you're standing, you're you're in a much better position to to voice your support. Um, you know, the minute you start sitting. As, as we see today, they start fiddling with phones. Not that phones were an issue or anything there, but it's taken away the the ferocity of football, the ferocity that I see in South America, maybe t- still to this day, um, because they can stand, they can act as one body of people. I talk about that that mass body of people, and you know, I, I know that we've moved on in the world, and we have health and safety standards, and we have charter marks, and we have all that bollocks. Sorry to to, to put it like that, but that's what it is, and it's taken away. What made football for me so special? I still love the game, but whenever you see how, when you remember how it used to be, I dread to think in in twenty or thirty years' time, somebody sitting doing a podcast, rem- reminiscing in the, in the same time span as I am, what the game will have become. 
And, you know, I, I, I brought this on especially, and it's especially good that Ali's here. It's why I asked him to actually do this, because at the moment, Celtic are going have gone back to safe standing. And look at the atmosphere. Look at the difference that that makes to them. Mm. And, you know, it, it, to me, football has just become this namby-pamby pussy game. Sorry to, sorry to be, but it is the truth. Yeah, I, I, I think, obviously, what had happened that brought on the Taylor Report, something had to be done, didn't it? And it was, maybe it's not so much about, the issue wasn't necessarily, it was standing, it was the way people were organised, it was how it was stewarded and operated. Could it should, yeah, have, been, yeah, should, the it should whole, have been the first point. That the yeah, problem was, I, I, Andy, I, that they blamed the fans exclusively. Yeah. And look, with any big event, you're having tiny amounts of people who are dickheads. You can't get away from that. But unfortunately, those very small percentage spoiled it for the rest. Mm-hmm. I think obviously at the time as well, it was seen as as a way to make things safer and more organised, and and yeah, like you say, you know the, the the scum element of that were troublemakers that were so prevalent and could get lost in a crowd at that time. I mean, the technology and and other things of standards have, have moved on, and it you know it's easier to track people down. It's and it's like you've mentioned there. And, and Ali can come in on this with a safe standing, but as it's it's as it's been shown in Germany, I think that's where it's really been looked upon as you know the real sort of um, the bar, so to speak, for this of of how safe standing can be operated. Uh, you know, it's it's well organised, it's properly laid out. It's it's not just you know crowds of people allowed to just go wherever. It is it's it's properly organised. It's moving back towards the terraces, but but a more organised and a safer version of it. Would do you think that's fair? Absolutely. I mean, Dave mentioned the Celtic one, and that's where obviously my experience of it's come into play. And as you say, Andy, they've took it from you know the German leagues. They spent a couple of seasons over there checking out how it works. And I think in, a, in an ideal world, after obviously what happened um, and why we took away the terraces, I mean. I think this is what realistically you wanted to happen, but it was such a massive thing that happened, and the easiest and safest way was to was to just take it away and and put the seats in place. Um, it's maybe taken a bit too long, you know, to go back, but I mean, at least it's getting there. And I was really young again when the the terraces went away, so I mean, this is my first real experience of it proper, that especially one that I can recall, and and the. Dave's spot on what it brings. I mean, I'll, I've never had a, a problem with Celtic Park's atmosphere. And they're always loud and they've got their own section, but just this this one standing atmosphere just adds to it. I mean, a hundred percent. I mean, you've got more experience with with German games, Andy. So you you'd have known a lot a lot earlier than myself. Um, but I was just going to say, I mean, we, obviously we don't want to turn this into a debate about safe standing and uh, you know terraces and all the rest of it, but. What I'd ask you, Ali, is, is been to, you know, you've been to Celtic Park there, and and they've installed it there. Do you you feel that you were safe while you were you were stood, and that you felt like it was coordinated properly and it's organised? Hundred percent, Andy. I mean, let's let's be honest. When we're we're talking about going to football games, even going to Anfield or wherever you go, whatever team you support, you stand up as much as you can, unless you're being told to sit yeah. down. And that's true. It's that's less safe. Than, than a lot of it because as you say you've got people pushing behind you you know if goals are celebrated you're jumping up and down you, you, there's very little room between the two lots of seats and just having yeah. that bar and 
I mean, as you say, it's very controlled. I mean, you're talking there's seats in pl- in position in the safe standing areas. Um, so it's only one person per that little bit of space. You've got the bar in front of you. Um, I was there with my friend and his little boy, and his little boy was in the, the crowd and he was jumping up and down. But they just you've got that bar there for extra. It's just it is much more. I feel it's safer for the fans who get up and sing and jump about than than seating, if you know what I mean. So I mean, so Dave, just to, just to close this one off, then do you feel that the introduction of of safe standing then would would help you then in that in that loss of terracing, but also cover off that you know that safety aspect and and so we we don't go down back down to where you know fans were tre- like animals really and herded into pens like cattle. Those pens still exist um, where I live at the minute. Sadly, in, in grounds you know you still have that that closed in aspect. But I think you know as a society in in the thirty forty years that that have gone in between. You know, we, we have moved on, and I think there's a, there's a much more, there's a maturity about it. Also, and the sad, sad thing, and this is a whole other podcast, and, and maybe not indulge it too much, but they've also priced the average man out, um, which which sort of means that you're never, you're never really going to have that voracious atmosphere ever again. You know, clearly, I, I'm sure both of you have been uh, a European night at Anfield, where if you're on the cop, that steers don't even bother. Nobody tells you to sit down. They're quite happy with you standing. And that's what sets those nights apart from our Premier League games, from you know the, the average Saturday afternoon, is because you have the whole of the cops standing. And when you stand, I don't know, uh, for me, it just brings out a different a different feeling and a different mentality entirely in, in, in how you support your team. I think if you're on your feet, it, it sounds mad to say that, but it does. It's different when you're standing and you feel much more comfortable shouting and screaming when you're standing than you do if you're sitting down. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is a strange, it's a strange thing, but yeah, it's, I, I, I can't explain it that, that what it, what effect that has on your psyche, but uh, the, there is, there's a lot of truth to that. It's, it's like it's no. the adrenaline coming through you. You know, because you're on your feet, you're on your, you're on the edge. If you're sitting down, you kind of like you're at home. If you're just sitting about all day, you're tired, you're lethargic. And as I think Dave brought up earlier, you, you you start fidgeting. You've got your phones out, especially like I was saying. Today. You want to kick every ball with the Mandy, and you can't do that sitting down. You know what I mean? Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and all your emotions are right That's... on the tip. Even even when you're getting angry and you want to shout, like even shouting at the referee or, you know, any any stupid yeah. call. Or, as you say, the singing back and forward between opposition fans and it's just much better as you say you're on your feet you're just that it's that ferocity is yeah. the best way to describe it easier to gesticulate much easier <laughs> right let's let's we, we won't go too much more on this one then so back on to the positives dave positive i'm going to take you to 1982 to the second world cup i ever watched 78 was was magnificent as i said 78 sealed the deal with me in international football and it's a love that remains till today um, I still feel the same way about it as this sort of show will <laughs> really demonstrate. But Northern Ireland had qualified f- for the first time since 1958 for the 82 World Cup. I was lucky enough, I think only missed two of the, the home qualifiers to, to qualify for it. So by, by that stage, I was sort of totally bought into it. It was like 15 years old. You know, we had no expectations. You know, you'd, you'd the troubles basically raging in Northern Ireland. 82 was was pretty bad year. Um, in around the early 80s, still things were, were pretty bad across there. And all of a sudden, we had Billy Bingham and these sort of 
collection of of journey men, but there's some decent pros in there, don't get me wrong, but hardly household names, even even of the times, um, going to this World Cup where they were drawn in a group with Yugoslavia, Ecuador, and the hosts, Spain. As I say, we, we didn't have much expectation. We never really do, to be honest with you, as a country. But uh, we got the draw against Yugoslavia, who back then were uh, a, a very formidable outfit. We, we got a draw. Billy Bingham's you know, mantra in life was always, you know, we'll, we'll settle for a draw. As long as we don't get beat, uh, we, we save face. And, and the whole country sort of bought into it. So I say we ended up with two draws with two points. It was a fairly tight group. And we came up against Spain. And, <laughs> well, the, the, really the rest is history. Northern Ireland went down to 10 men and it was nil-nil. We played a very defensive game. We, we, we frustrated them. We annoyed a very, very talented uh, Spanish side. But maybe worth noting as well for, for this Spanish side that, uh, you know, the kids of the day don't think of Spanish as, you know, world champions, European champions to 2010 and, and, and so on. You, you know what I mean? And, and very successful. Back then, Spain, up until that success, were always the bridesmaids at these tournaments. And they always had a, a sort of mini disaster. They're always fancied, but always had a disaster. Luckily for Northern Ireland, they had their disaster against us. And uh, as I say, we were down to 10. Uh, we were slowly drifting out of the World Cup and uh, Billy Hamilton came in from the right, crossed the ball across. The goalkeeper sort of faffed at it, fumbled at it, threw it in front of Jerry Armstrong. He poached us the winner. And really the rest is history. And we qualified topping the group in, in, in a World Cup finals and progressing then. It wasn't a knockout. It was a secondary uh, group of three teams where we were drawn against uh, France and Austria. We drew two each with Austria, some heroics from Billy Hamilton and uh, along the way there. And uh, we, we lost 4-1 against a Platini-inspired uh, France. But again, nobody was complaining. We were in dreamland. But, you know, really that, that night against Spain, it, it's in folklore of, of Northern Ireland football. You know what I mean? Jerry Armstrong never, will never buy a drink in Northern Ireland again on, on the strength of that. You know, uh, he's just, just a national hero. Uh, same way David Healy, national hero. He never did anything in his career, but... Uh, you know, Jerry, Jerry got a transfer to, I think it was Mallorca. I think he, he ended up out of that. He went to the Spanish League. He's still very big in Spain, doing the commentary for Sky and whatnot off the back of that. And also we had Norman Whiteside, who at the time uh, broke Pele's record for being a 17 years and 40, 42 days or 41 or two, 40, I think it's 41 days he was, uh, broke Pele's record as the youngest ever player to appear in a World Cup final. So there was so much to take out of this. But I think the thing that the memory that I remember most in, in like what was basically a battle torn country that we lived in, it was such unity um, at that time. And, and there was really no trouble during that time. And it was a really uniting, a really uniting factor in the country at the time, which sadly was lost again after it. And, and, and we never really saw Barry McGuigan in 85 helped a little bit. 86 was absolutely no expectations. The best of that, that team were gone by then. Uh, but as I say, it ju it's just a standout. That whole World Cup uh, uh, is, 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 is magnificent also. There's some magnificent teams in that. But that, for me, is just it's, it's just one of those those moments. You know, I remember the night that, uh, that we actually watched that Spain game. I think it was myself and about four mates. And uh, my mother had gone out for the night, wasn't expected, back till late, and we sort of raided her drink cupboard. And we all got, well, so she came home. I think I was grounded for about four months in the back of that one. But you know what? It was worth it. Was it right? Did I hear there was uh, a fair few people that went out to the World Cup, never came back? Yeah, Scots as well, I think I heard. Lots of Scots and Irish, when they've got, whenever they've gone over for a match, end up staying. Well, the bars don't close, Andy, so they're, they're <laughs> in <lies> your problem. <laughs> I'm glad you got there before I did, anyway. 
I'll, t- I'll tell you what my the only memory I have of the '82 World Cup was uh, the England shirt made by Admiral. I remember it well. It was terrible with, with the red with the red, white, and blue stripe across the chest um, <laughs> yeah. in three rows. And yeah. Brian Robson and yeah, yeah. Now I remember them. Yeah, it's one more. That, that's that's all I have from '82. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't. I mean, my international tournament, as I say. I mean, this is one Scotland even qualified for, and I still don't even remember even family members talking about it. Seventy-eight was was better. It was better for you, Ali, and to, with your you Archie Gamels. Uh, you know, it, it's more. Fun. Yeah, our eighty-two is your seventy-eight. If you're with me, you know, and and I'm sure you know you'll you'll identify with people still talk about seventy-eight in Scotland. The same way as people still talk about ninety or eighty-two in, in Northern Ireland. Yeah, that's definitely seventy-eight is the one, as you say. And if you have you mentioned Scotland and people start talking about the past, yeah, you're right. So, yeah, I can understand where you're coming from. As before me, no recollection for me. I was kind of hoping Andy had a little bit more um, on this one. No, not really. <laughs> I'm not quite old enough to remember it properly, <laughs> and I never had VHS copies of the eighty-two World Cup that I'd watch over and over again, but. Um, yeah, so you so you each so Scotland have a World Cup to remember when they scored that goal against was it Holland? It was Holland. They beat Holland three yeah, to yeah. two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Northern Ireland, it was it was the year that they beat Spain. Spain, the host. Yeah, and England, it's when they actually won the World Cup. Yeah, before my time, never never happened. It was a month before I was born. It, 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 that never happened. Not in my lifetime. You didn't. You know, I'm oldest as fuck. <laughs> hey. Anyway, enough of all this happiness and uh, positivity and smiling and good good spirits and all that malarkey. What we like is a good bit of negativity. So let's stew and let's slag people off. Come on then, Dave. A good old negative. Well, I think both of you might indulge me on this one. I think mo- mo- both of you will definitely get my sentiment on it. It's basically the rise of Manchester United from the 90s onwards. And, you know, we, we hear today, oh, it's Manchester United this, Manchester United that, Manchester United, Manchester United. Look, uh, ma- magnificent club in the 60s, uh, Busby Babes, things like that. But what people fail to, fail to remember, without Sky, without the gentrification of football, United were a mid-table club. There was no pomp and circumstance about them. You know, we, we, we and Everton, Manchester City, Nottingham Forest, were the teams who were considered the big clubs before Sky. And, you know, since 92, all I've heard, and I, I know I sound like a, a bitter old man on all of this, it irks at me. You think there was no football that before that. You think Manchester United were the kings of the world forever and a day from, from football began. And, you know, honestly, even, you know, before Ferguson came along, you know, the one on FA Cup, you, you think it was the end of the world, you know, the one on FA Cup. So, you know, in today's world, the way that Manchester United are heralded, you would think that they are the team that this team has always been that way, and it wasn't that way, you know, because they had their time when when they were like us, like we are at the minute, only worse, much much worse. And as I say, the Ferguson era, I, I don't like Alex Ferguson. I think he's a magnificent coach. I respect what he done, but as a person, I cannot have the man. And it, you know, the fact that he inspired all of that to a club that I didn't really like to begin with, it, it, it it's a major. And I know it sounds better. I don't care. But it just winds me up no end. It, 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 it just seems like it never, ever stops. Me and Andy can both agree there. Um, I mean, United grow, grew in stature and become the club that they were during my growing up period. So I had to listen to it with all my, all my friends and, you know, 
uh, supposed, you know, the families had supported them for years and just hearing it. I mean, I, I didn't know much about them previous, as as you said, Dave. It's just one of those clubs, as you say, just infuriate you. And part of it, doubt for me, from my side, um, just with my age, is, is down to jealousy because they had everything that, that we didn't. Well, you see, another aspect that maybe didn't add in that, you know, we, we talked about um, you know, fans being caged in and everything. United, during sort of the 70s, early, had the worst reputation of fans in, in probably the first division as it was back then. You know, they, they had a really, really bad rep. I, I always found it sort of the, the most polished diamond club, um, you know, that are presented by Sky and so on. It's Manchester United, this Manchester. They, they forgot all the negativity around it. And, you know, for me... Probably people my age don't forget all of that and find it particularly grating. Yeah, well, see, yes, yes, it's a different way that you look at it from from me because um, you've seen the the before. Um, I I've obviously only read about it, and you don't even read much of Man United because of what you're saying, though, Dave. You know what I mean? You know, when I was reading back and studying Liverpool and you know the club that that I loved and. Man United were never mentioned, as you say. It was Nottingham Forest. It was Everton's. You even read more about your Aston Villa. Aston Villa, yeah. Yep. And then obviously being up here, I got a lot of the Celtic stuff because of their European exploits. You know, way back when. But Man United was just never a team that was that was spoken about until, as you say, the Premier League era kicks in, the money goes in, and I mean, fair fucks to them. They they were the ones who capitalised on it. But it's just, as you say, it makes you very bitter. That they've this team's come from nowhere, and they were, as you say, mid-table team. I mean, the the last team to win the league before the, you know the Premier League era kicked in was Leeds United. Wasn't even you know man you they had to sign their best player. It just infuriates you more than anything else. For me, it's infuriate and 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 jealousy, of course. But I'm their just, timing was impeccable. Yeah. You know, they they hit the sweet spot of timing, and that and that's it. Um, I, I just I put up, but the rest are fine. Just ugh. yeah. I mean, you've got to see. They were very smart. Commercially, they were ahead of everybody. They 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 twigged onto all that well before anybody else, and they made the most of that, and it gave them a head start. And nobody else in the Premier League has caught up yet commercially to them. Yeah, you have to respect that. You know, I'm I'm having a rant here, but I I totally do respect that. But I think I think it's maybe more a rant at, at, at maybe the, the Sky generation and what Sky made them out to be, and you know, like Martin Tyler and ITV. You know, you you think they were they were kings of the world, and uh, football comes in cycles. You know, teams come and and leagues come and go. Yeah. You know, as I say, we're, we're seeing the reemergence of Serie A something, at the moment. Something that I encourage because you know that that era of Serie A was magnificent and so on. But you know, you, you can't forget the history of all these things and. I think maybe I'm having a pop, Andy. You know, this you know football began with with Sky TV, and it didn't. And and these clubs have a history no. way beyond that that don't that doesn't really make its way into the into the the, the media of today. And it's almost like you know, yeah, it, it was tarnished because of the violence and so on that that happened around that time. And 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 they maybe want to forget it, but you can't forget those eras in clubs' histories because that make that's what makes them who they are. Yeah, I've I've got to say as well as. What kind of hurt me was all this, you'd hear United saying, oh, City, just trying to buy the league. Oh, Chelsea, look at that. They're just trying to buy the league. Look at this team spending all that money. You know, I think, well, I remember back to the 80s, United used to spend more money than anybody else. They, they, they were, were still out. shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, it, was, it was like Liverpool of 
probably sort of the last 20 years, you know, spending money, going out, get this player, get that player, get that manager, get this manager, get that manager. We've won a cup. We must be back now. And no. And it, and it was a similar kind of experience, I think, you know, because they went 26 years without winning the league. They won a few cups in that time and they spent a hell of a lot of money and they went through a lot of managers, but the, but it took them 26 years to get back to where they wanted to be. Yeah, and well, don't get me wrong. Again, you have to respect the fact that they arrived there, but I, again, their timing, it was all to do with timing. But uh, it, it's just something in, in the modern era you know, a lot of I speak to a lot of guys through doing WFI, a lot of young guys, and you know, all of that history, sort of pre-Sky, seems to be lost on today's generation. And you know, they they, they sort of demean uh, footballers who played in that time. You know, a favourite of mine's George Best, who <laughs> you couldn't buy in today's market. Neymar's worth two hundred and twenty-two million. I'm sorry, um, George Best's worth a billion. Um, when when he was at his peak, albeit his peak wasn't very long, but uh, but I don't care. At his peak in today's world, he would he would be worth a billion. And and you know they demean players like that. They forget the rough and tumble world that it was back then. Um, you, you know it was a hard man's game. Again, this gentrification has you know off the pitch, on the pitch, everything's much more gentle. Everything's much more sporting. Uh, physical contact's gone. And, you, you know, I just see the, 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 the football on the slippy slope and, you know, the pricing scheme. There's there's so many rants that I have. But, you know, I keep going back to what it made, you know, what Sky made of Manchester United was, it's just, it's just wrong. I, I guess, would we, be, would we still be saying this was a negative? Liverpool capitalised on it. Uh, well, you have a fair point there. As I say, I'm quite happy to be called bitter, Andy. I'm I'm perfectly happy. I, I've taken the bitter card all day. I, that's something. That's that's a, that's a, that's a circumstances of events that didn't happen. I can't possibly think. I went through our yeah. glory era, and we were pricks. Don't get me wrong. As supporters, we were pricks. We were. <laughs> well, no I was going to say. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say. See, I I remember. I I mean, I went to school all over the place. I went to school abroad because I grew up with the military. So there was a, there was a a mixture of people from all over the country. There was lots of Scots. That you know, there, there was a right all mixture. We used to have the Rangers v Celtic fights <laughs> going on. There was, and but there was a lot of Man United fans. Even though in the eighties they weren't particularly successful, there was it tended to be you, most people with either United or Liverpool. And you'd have some Arsenal and some Spurs, but you didn't seem to get a lot of other clubs. And and it was just it was just what you noticed. It, you know that was the popularity. But it seemed all of a sudden, you know, it was more and more. Obviously, success brings glory supporters and whatnot. But it what got me in the the early part of that success. It was the United fans after I think it was after they'd won two league titles. They'd won it back to back. And and it was in my face, giving it to me as though that they've just been dominating football for the last twenty five years. And it was like, hang on a minute, you know, we're talking about ninety three, ninety four time. And hang on a minute, you know, it's only a few years ago we were champions. You know, we've just been dominating football for the last two decades. When you were doing nothing, you're holding it in my face and you're giving it to me. And it, I, I really dislike them. <laughs> I didn't yeah, like them anyway, but, Andy, but I really Andy, disliked we, the way that they took their success. Look, back in the day, I said Liverpool fans were pricks because we were. We were. But we didn't have social media. We didn't have football and television 24 hours a day ramming it down our throats. Or else we would probably be as hated 
as as, as United fans are, and with that distaste. And you know, Ali said, "What what if it was us? We didn't have." the vehicle, the mechanism uh, of the, the media like we have today, like every word about football. We, you know, we, we had a couple of magazines maybe we bought as kids. As I say, we've maybe got, if we were lucky, 10 live games of football a season on television. It wasn't down your throat. And I think I think this is why I find it, maybe at my age, so distasteful around United because it was the, the, the explosion of, of media, stroke multimedia, stroke internet, stroke all of those things exploding all at once. And and you know it was it was like look at look at Manchester United they're they're just the shining so and it was just like you know fuck off we've done we've already done that you know go away with it. you know why are they getting all this credit and we you know whatever we did it nobody said a word you know we we got maybe a back page of, of you know the newspaper if we won the league or we won the European Cup or something yes of course we did but it, nothing like the, the array of content that, that that's out there. Today, you know, you have podcasting like this. You've you've articles. You have bloggers. You've you've twenty four hour news channels on sport. You've twenty four hour new, uh, channels on football alone. You've you've club channels. It you know the saturation of the market today just makes it to me completely not really. I find our own club quite nauseous actually in all of that as well. A, discla- a wee disclaimer in there. I just find it over the top. Like, so basically, you just hate modern football. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in a nutshell. <laughs> I mean, Sky destroyed you, uh, it. <laughs> before you have an aneurysm, are we? Uh, we'll get back onto the positive train. Okay, doggy. Let's go for something that you will remember. I would hope, and that was the last World Cup in Brazil. As I say, I w- the first time I ever attended a World Cup for various reasons, mostly because I could never get holidays when uh, from from my job at the time. That was our busiest time of the year. There was no chance on this earth you would ever have got holidays um, to, to go to a World Cup. So Brazil in 2014, I, I lived here four years by that stage. I came at the end of uh, the 2010 World Cup. And, you know, I, I witnessed basically the stadiums, two of the stadiums being built here, uh, you know, over time. I, I passed them sort of quite regularly, one received and the, the other one here in Natal, where I was living at the time. And, you know, it was it was a really surreal experience you know the, the build up to it the negativity around it all the problems that came with it from i arrived here to a population that were so pumped up so excited um could not wait for this to happen you know they saw this as their the sixth star on the shirt and you know I, i've spoken on pause about this before uh, and you know what it meant you know what it meant to be you know I, I spoke about northern ireland's expectations going to the 82 world cup and we were sort of like yeah well, we're going it's great you know whatever happens happens this was a country that has the richest pedigree of World Cup football, even greater than Germany's. Um, you know, a pedigree of winning World Cups. And it was absolutely intense to be in this country, uh, experiencing a country who had was hosting a World Cup, but not only that, but had a real chance, or they believed had a real chance of winning it, obviously in the four years that, that, that happened. By the time the tournament arrived, um, you know our expectations had been lowered somewhat, uh, and you know I think they did very well getting to a semi-final. But you know being able to go to those stadiums, you know witnessing Brazil playing in a World Cup in a stadium, it, it's just wow, 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 lifetime dream. Yeah. I saw it confeds, and I saw it. It, it. it was a lifetime's dream uh, fulfilled. No, I was just going to say, wasn't that the semi-final where we we sadly lost Neymar beforehand? No, no, that was the Colombia game. That was that was two games before when when they when the Colombians tried attempted murder. Yeah, no, on that's, that's what I mean. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. You know, that semi final. Did 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 Neymar pass away just before the semi final? 
I remember them holding his shirt up and crying their eyes out. No, at that stage, uh, all all the television stations where all the presenters, they, they do this thing in South America where they make a heart with their two hands, you know, the f- forefinger and thumb. And they were sending love to Neymar on every show. It was nauseous. I, my dislike from Neymar really sort of exploded from 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 that particular incident. <laughs> um, it, it, was, it was particularly nauseous. And of course, it's the reason why Brazil went out because Neymar was there. Nothing to do with Marcelo. David Luiz, uh, Thiago Silva, or Dani Alves and their ability to, or inability to defend. Uh, nothing to do with that at all. Nothing to do with the, the, the how good the Germans were on that day. And, and I always recall that, you know, the, the, I think it was at 4 1 in that game that they were taking the, 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 the yellow and green bunting down in town. It was like a wake. Um, I went home at 5 1 because I couldn't cope with it anymore, <laughs> the depression around me. But as I say, you know, getting to those tournaments, I, I was up in Rece- I was down in Recife, up in Fortaleza. I did all the matches here in in Natal. You know, I, I got to see Germany uh, play Ghana in Fortaleza. I got to see Mexico three times, um, w- which was great. I got to see Uruguay. Uh, so I finally got to see, see Suarez. Finally got to see Buffon, who I'd never seen before. Uh, you know, so many of these classic players. Um, that I got to see through this World Cup that I would never have had the chance afforded to me. You know, Michael Essien, any time I'd been to a Chelsea game, he'd been injured. The first time I got to see Michael Essien, who, who was, to me at one stage, was the MVP of, of the EPL at one stage. I loved I loved that player. So again, it, it was like a dream come true. Also, I had both my kids here for it. We went to all the games together. You know, we, we really, really had a ball. Uh, the downside of it when, when you're attending these games is you tend to miss quite a bit of the tournament. It was, it was a tournament that I had to really enjoy retrospectively. But again, it's like, you, you know, we spoke pre-pod about it. You know, we've got, we're in World Cup year again. And the expectation, you know, given the fact of, of the changes here in Brazil with the national team, those expectations are starting to creep in again. Um, you know, that we're going to go to Russia and we're really going to make a good job of it. And, and there's a real chance that we could be, you know, amongst the favourites there. Um, you know, certainly I would like to think semi-finalists at the least uh, in the coming World Cup. And, and that excitement starting to build into a country again. And given, you know, the social and economic problems that are ongoing down here and have been since the World Cup, it's practically between that and the Olympics practically broke the place. It, it's quite nice to actually see football being embraced again in the country. Given the fact, you know, that's the, the the 2014 World Cup was meant to have been paid for by by uh, outside investment. It ended up being paid out of the public person. It's why, and and also the fact that the, the public were basically priced out of it. Um, again, we're back to ticket pricing again. It, it's disgraceful, but it, it was it was one of those experiences in life that again are just it's a standout. It's a standout tournament, not for not for the football, but the attendance of it, and the fact that I got to see so much of it. Um, the fact that I could speak the language and interact with these people everywhere I went, it, it was it was a really sort of, how would you put it, a, a spiritual football experience. Right, Andy. I mean, we, the three of us spoke about my international um, enjoyment. So this, this World Cup is going to be more enjoyable for, for yourself and much more on the memory for you. Yeah, yeah you're, not, um, you're not really into your international football, but I've I've always loved the World Cup, and I, I remember Dave. I actually remember us talking before that World Cup and your concerns about the whole social side of it and the the financial side of it and people being priced out of it and quite how it was going to come about and lots of other things. On the the other the flip side of it, everybody was just thinking about it's Brazil, it's the atmosphere, it's like the you know. But if the UK is a birthplace of football, then 
then you know Brazil is like the 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 soul, you know where it's it's samba and everybody thinks of you know that that 1970 Brazil team and and the and there's something about the the yellow shirts and the blue shorts everything you know it it's it's, it's something mythical. it's mythical yeah the, yeah there's just something about it's it's like the Harlem Globetrotters in basketball isn't it the the Brazil team there's just something about them and that whole thing about the um, that the carnival and the atmosphere and and everyone was excited about that side of it and. And after the 2010 World Cup, which for me is one of my negatives, when when I get I to finally do one that. of these, I, 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 it was dreadful. That. It was bloody awful. And and I love World Cups, but that was that was a chore, an absolute chore to sit through. And it was it was nice to get back to an international tournament that wasn't turgid and and it, like watching probably. I don't know, probably 60, 60 to 70% of the Premier League games that are so bloody negative because everyone's scared of losing and losing their revenue and going down. It, it was just, it was more in tune with the spirit of the World Cup and it was, let's go for it, let's have it. And, and we're here and it's an atmosphere and the football was was generally good. There were some, some cracking games. There were some great goals. There were some brilliant moments. And I like to say, you know, that personal side of it for you to, to have been there and experienced it in person. Yeah. It, it must've been pretty special. You know, I, I think one of the highlights, you know, there was a, there was a whole hullabaloo pre-tournament about, you know, there was going to be this mile, one mile exclusion zone of, you know, local vendors because the culture here in South America is very much, you know, you get a, 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 a polystyrene box, fill it full of ice, you know, throw it into a wheelbarrow and walk around the streets selling beer and, you know, it doesn't matter what city you're in, you'll find it in, in every city. And, uh, you know, that, that FIFA actually thought that they could police this. <laughs> and, you know, how do you police a man with a wheelbarrow with a, with, with a box full of ice and beer? You just don't. And, you know, there was so many things that, you know, the, the South American attitude is, yeah, we'll agree to it, but there's no way it's ever going to happen. And, you know, there was, there was guys just, you know, opening the boot of the car in the morning, throwing the, the, the Churrasco barbecue out uh, onto the street. And the, the atmosphere outside the grounds, honestly, was, was much better than, than, than in them to, 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 the, to the greater portion. Um, the World Cup crowds are very, very different to what you find at league games. It's, it's an awful lot more sort of family orientated. And you don't sort of get, you know, you get pockets of vocal support. But, you know, unless you're in with like the likes of the Ghanaians who are just a, an absolute joy here, an absolute joy. Ghanaian football fans are, I, I couldn't meet enough of them. They're wonderful people. And the Mexicans. Um, who just can create an atmosphere out of nothing. Um, there were, I think it was what the Mexicans had hired five cruise ships to come down to, to receive because all their games was, were in the north of Brazil. And they hired buses. To, and they used to see maybe a mile a mile long train of buses on the motorway full of uh, Mexico fans. Just, just crazy things that only a World Cup can bring you. Uh, and, you know, the football, to me, in this World Cup, as I say, because you, you miss so much of it. You know, uh, for example, there's a 16-hour round trip for me to go to Fortaleza. We used to do half of it one day and half of it the next day, come back and stay in the same hotel again, do, do it over two days. So you were missing loads of the games. But what was the compensation for it was the friendliness of, of football fans. You know, I, I, there was so many people came here and I never saw so much as one scuffle. Um, and, and all the games I was at and anywhere I was at, uh, you know, I was in the fan park in Recife. Uh, I was in the fan park in Natal. I never saw so much as one iota of trouble during it. 
And in, in that regard, it was, a, it was a massive success. You know, the stadiums on the television looked immense, uh, albeit we were entering the stadiums via, via a building site. You know, the, the television cosmetics were, were very, very good in, in, in masking all of that. But again, it's Brazil. It's what you expect. It's South America. It's what you expect. It's rustic and it's basic as Jesus. But it, in some ways, it's, you know, that, that old rustic feel sometimes has, makes proper football, you know? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I know entirely what you mean. Uh, sticking with Brazil, then, uh, back onto the negatives. You, you've got Brazil versus Italy, 82. Do indeed. And this is where, you know, it was, it was a classic game of football, number one. But it was to have a knock-on effect um, in the world of football. And I think that's more or less the negative that I want to bring here. Back then, you know, this this was uh, a knockout round in, in the 82 World Cup where Italy, who went on to win the tournament, were up against the favourites and golden boys. And, you know, as we would call them today, the hipster's choice, because this team, managed by Telly Santana, played the most expansive, beautiful football that I've ever seen played on a football field. We had what a full squad of players from Brazil. Not one of them played their trade outside of Brazil. Now, there's there's the first thing that, that that's really, really notable. You know, we had players in there. You know, we had Zico. We had Socrates. We had Falcao. You know, these these names, they're synonymous with, with the great Eder, great players of, of, of that era in Brazil. And they just didn't want to beat you they want to humiliate you and it's the way that i love to see the game played italy on the other hand you know we had uh, p- players like gentile who baffles me why he ever got that name because gentle is it's far 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 from what this guy was a butcher more like but you had that uh, italian defense uh, that mean you will not pass uh, mentality and you know if you try to pass if you do get passed then you're going to have a broken leg and it was beautiful football against tactically astute game plan that in the 80s just wasn't there in football and I, I call it a negative because it spurned Serie A which I, which I loved but had Brazil not have lost that game and all they needed was a draw they needed a draw. You know, they went into the second group, and all they needed was a draw to progress then uh, into the next round. But Brazil didn't want to beat it, or didn't want to draw against Italy. They wanted to beat Italy. They wanted to beat everyone on their way to uh, to winning a World Cup. And again, living here for seven years, I understand that mentality now. I understand the importance of of them not just you know getting a draw, qualifying. It'll do. They need to win. They need to be the best. And had Brazil uh, had won that game. And, you know, Santana had prevailed. I truly, truly do believe that Serie A would never have happened and that the expansive football that teams are trying to play today, you know, with this very little defence and everything, would have come to the fore so, so much sooner. You know, we wouldn't have had to have waited 30 years for it. It would have been there today. This was a game that, that, that defined football. Um, you know, one game defined football and, and for the next sort of 20 years. And, you know... To me, the wrong side, the wrong side won, and the wrong type of football won. Well, it's a magnificent advertisement for the game. Paolo Rossi hat trick. Uh, he went on to lift the golden boot. Italy went on to win in in some style. It has to be said, um, and and you know we're good value for it. I don't begrudge them the World Cup win, but Brazil were better, 
And I, I, you know, I loved this. This is the best Brazilian team in, in my lifetime. I know that people talk about the 70 team and so on. But for me, Brazil 82 are the greatest team and, and will always be the greatest team never to win the World Cup. That's quite, quite a sweeping negative there. That, that, spurned, that spurned a whole genre of football, that one game. But do you, you think that that was it? That started it right there, or do you think that was the that was the thought that was on like the the formulation that that eventually spawned it? Or do well, you think was that like, was it? That was that was the defining point. Look, the Italians were miles ahead in tactics. If you go, you know, if you go back to the '58 World Cup, Brazil were world leaders. They were miles ahead of the game of anybody else. They had nutritionists long before it was even anybody knew what one was. They were they were traveling with doctors long before it was ever the ever the norm. They were miles ahead. But Italy, tactically, by 82, and even in 78, the, 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 the seeds of this were being sown. And it was, you know, it was intransigent in many ways because it was like, boom, down you go. Uh, there, was, there was a lot of negativity about it, but they did what they needed to do to win games. And, you, you know, you know that this, Andy, because you watched through the 90s, through Serie A, there was some pretty cynical stuff that used to go on. Uh, you know, and it was tactical masterclasses. There was some wonderful nil-nils. Uh, but ultimately, that that was born of this game. I think if Brazil had blown them away, I, I truly believe that the Italians were terrified of this Brazilian team because they were killing everything in their wake up until the point that they, they, they reached this game. And again, the fact that they weren't, you know, they, they, they clawed themselves back in the game twice to get to 2-2. And 2-2 would have done them. They would have, they would have qualified and probably had gone on and won that World Cup. But their mentality, and, and it's a very much a Latin mentality, we must crush you. You know, just to, to, to win's just not enough. We, you know, we have, to, we have to crush you. We have to destroy you. We have to show you that we're, you know, we're going to win this World Cup and we are the best. Yeah. Naivety. The tactical naivety. Well, Kelly Santana, we, I've seen him interviewed and, you know, he is very much along the lines of this is the way that this was his vision of football, and this is what he wanted for for the, for the rest of it. But it, you know, that game killed it dead because everybody went back and, and talked about you know the positivity of of you know, this this real structure that Italy had put in place to stop this beautiful Joga Bonita. Yeah, almost like uh, how do you stop that Barcelona team? You know, you you just you put ten men behind the they ball around the edge that. of the box. <laughs> no, but you know that that whole kind of thing that that's it. That's what you do. You know, this amazing football everyone's watching and enjoying. No, no, no. You just stick ten man behind the ball around the box and we'll lump it long and we'll hit them on set pieces. It's like it's them moments where where football looks at the at the outcome rather than than enjoying. You know how you can get there. Indeed, and you know it had a knock-on effect in Brazilian football because by the time the '86 World Cup came about, you know they looked a shadow of the of that brilliance, and and it was. But you know, if any if any younger people ha- maybe listening to this don't know what I'm talking about, there's several documentaries about this particular team. I think you can find online. It was a joy to watch. You know, um, it was it, it was just football the way it's meant to be played, and and it was eleven players with smiles on their faces. You know, it was they. They were having fun playing football. It's the, it's the spirit in which I, I still believe to this day that the game should be played in. And I think that you know it's been lost in and how serious that, that money has has made this game. I think I think that's a fair point. Yeah, I I, I felt today we, we, I was talking to someone about about football and the money, and it, I said it's to me it feels kind of grubby, and, and there's a grubbiness about football now because it's all about money. We talk about how much 
the cost, how much does a player cost, how much have you spent, how much does he earn, how much, how much, how much, and it's all about money, when, where's it going, who's getting what, who's getting this, how much does that, what's it worth, how much per minute, does that mean they're earning it? And it's, it's like the, all you talk about with football is money rather than the football. Andy, I, I watched a, an interview here, and it's an old interview with Seiko. Uh, it's a thing I've taken to since I've, you know, at the time I've been here, I've, I've obviously learned the language. I can, I can listen to old classic commentaries and whatnot in Portuguese, which are which are immense listens. But there's an old interview with, with Zico where he talks about, and I think it, it, it just pinpoints the whole thing. He talks about the privilege of attending World Cups as a player. What an honor it was. for, And, and can you see that? In today's game, that players would think it's such an honour to go and represent your country. It, it's a, just another payday. And that's that's the way I see that these players look at the World Cup. The World Cup has been devalued by so many. You know, like there's Ali doesn't really have an interest in the World Cup. I find that I find that just, just guttingly sad because the World Cup, for me growing up, it was an opportunity to see these players. You know, obviously football's come totally international. We see the Premier League has players from all around the world. Well, it wasn't like that. We didn't have live games. You had to wait four years to see these guys. You know, players like Zico, who's one of my all-time favourite players, you had to wait four years to see him. You know, maybe you got a, the odd bit of footage on, on a Saturday on, on Grandstand, as it used to be, uh, if he did something spectacular. Uh, but, you know, you had to wait around for these guys. And these guys were, it was, it was, the, it was the height of their career. Um, it was an honour beyond, beyond being a football player, as a person, as a human being, to go to these things and represent their country. And, and that is all lost. And I find it just so sad that the, the, the ethos of football has, has changed so much. Well, just sticking with the the international stage then, uh, and to finish us off, we'll we'll finish on a positive. Your, your last one then, Northern Ireland at the Euros Northern last Ar- year. Yeah, Northern Ireland again. Um, topping the group in qualification going to the Euros. Um, you know, it's been, it was 30 years, exactly 30 years since we'd been to Mexico in 86. And I was actually home at the time uh, that these games were going on, and there was nobody there. Everybody, everybody was in France, basically. Uh, everybody, I tried to track down. Oh, I'm in Lyon. Oh, I'm in Paris. You know, every everybody was gone. Everybody was just totally bought into it. You know, I hadn't been back home in four years, and you know, home for me, it's not, it's not a, not a great place. Like, um, you know, it, it's, it's not without its problems. Even, even in the in new times, that the place just drives me mad. But there was a whole different sense. And even, you know, even with the divided community, both Ireland's making the, the, the tournament, everybody was happy. Everybody was bouncing. Everybody, there was a real different feel about the place. And, you know, the fact that we progressed out of the group, the fact that we beat Ukraine 2-0 in the style that we did, the fact that Michael O'Neill had taken this team from ranked way down in the hundreds um, up into, you know, a, a, a very, very realistic uh, position, optimistic, way beyond dreamland uh, position in, in the world ranking of football is just it's just a joy. It's an immense achievement. Um, it's, it's something that, you know, makes me immensely proud of where I come from, which you don't hear me say very often because there's not enough to be, not an awful lot to be proud of about it. Um, and, and as I say, the, the fans at that tournament, uh, and how they behaved, and and you know they were the life and soul of the place. And, and to be to be fair to the Southern fans, they did very well as well. But you know, uh, I remember I think it was Tony Barrett uh, was at one of the games, and uh, twenty minutes after the, after the end, they were still there, still singing. 
uh, you know, the whole Will Griggs on fire thing. And, you know, the whole thing had taken off and any bar you went into, it, it descended into Will Griggs on fire. It descended into, you know, Spirit in the Sky, the George Best song. There was a real, like it was back, it was football again. It was like, you know, it was like, fuck it. This was like, this was like the eighties. Um, you know, and, and you were old enough to go into the bars and enjoy it and, and, and really have a good time with it. And it just, it, it was such a good feel good factor. And, you know, we were very lucky to go out. Don't get me wrong, Gareth Bale, fantastic footballer. It was always going to be the difference between us and Wales. There's very little uh, between us bar that. But, you know, whenever whenever you look at the stature of player that we took to that tournament, the stature of player that we started in that tournament, absolutely no disrespect to them. They were a credit to themselves. They were a credit to the country. And, you know, they're continuing this form on. And there's a real realistic chance that we could still make Russia in in next year. Considering we're drawn in with with Germany, that's a hell of a statement to be making. Um, you know, in August that we're, that we're still in with that shout, and I think it's just testament to the work that, that Michael O'Neill has done there with that squad. Uh, you know, we're we're used to getting the odd crazy result here and there, but we're so so well organised and at home. You know, I, I don't fear the Germans coming this year at all. Um, I say bring it on. Uh, I've watched the Germans go down one nil uh, before at Windsor Park. I've been there. And it, it holds no fear. I, I say good luck to them if they can beat us, fair play, but I, I can't see them beating us. And that's a hell of a statement to be making as a Northern Irish person. Well, gentlemen, I'm going to make this super positive. I love this tournament. Love the Northern Ireland fans, the Ireland fans, the Welsh fans. Um, I think it was just because there were so many people that I, I communicated with via Twitter, social media. So like my timeline was covered with it. So it just had me engrossed in it. I, I think I've seen every game and as you say, Dave, just the singing, the fans, every clip you've seen, they just took over social media. And it was just such a positive, positive attitude all round, all round the whole tournament, and I loved every minute of it. See, there's hope for you yet, Ali. If well, you enjoyed the Euros, you can latch onto a couple of teams in the World Cup to what, just to sort of tag along to. Yeah, let's see who qualifies. Do you know what I think helped? It's the fact that it was in France that there was so many people could go, you know, because it was just... It's just across the water, isn't it? Northern Ireland was empty, Ali. Northern Ireland was yeah. empty. <laughs> I, think, I think Wales was as well. Um, but and every every Welsh person I followed on Twitter, all the Northern Ireland lot, even like you know, I mean our our Copcast group, but I think a few of them were over. I'm sure Devlin was over. And just just to see all these people, you know, singing and dancing away, enjoying themselves, and as as I keep going on about just all of it, I don't know how many times. The Will Grigg song kind of took over football at that period, um, and that just dominated the whole the whole tournament. Even with like with foreign fans as well. I, th- I think there's a very poignant one in there. You can find it on YouTube, where basically I, I think it's a, I think it might be in Dublin Airport where the two fans of, of both Ireland sort of come together and they're doing the Will Grigg song and they're singing different bits and pieces. And you know, in years gone by, you wouldn't have seen that. And and I and I, I welcome it. You know, I went through the airports. Um, I went through Dublin Airport twice last year uh, during the tournament. Uh, I was only home for a very very brief stay. So you know, both times I went, there was there was matches on, and I spoke to spoke to guys like you know who were going across and whatnot. And just you know, even even from the Republic of Ireland side as well, there was such pride in in going and and such pride in being there. I think it was the first time ever that Northern Ireland had ever gone to the Euros. 
um, they'd never been there before. So it was, it was a completely, uh, a completely different kettle of fish. And, you know, it, it's just one of those things that, you know, in times of Brexit and everything, that, <laughs> albeit it was just slightly before Brexit, but, you know, it's, it's the t- type of highs that sort of can, can help a country, especially a small country, uh, keep together and, and keep the head up. And, uh, you know, I, I loved it. I loved the tournament. Um, you know, the, the fact that we, we, the Germany only beat us 1-0 was, 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 a, was a result to be celebrated as well. And it just, you know, that, that, that just demonstrates the different mentality and expectation levels you have. You know, like I, I, I support the Brazilian national team. I expect them to win. I support Northern Ireland. We get a draw. Happy days, you know. It's a very, very different realisation. I think it's Ireland as a whole, Dave. You know, they, their fans, their people take over whatever the, their guys are involved in. And it, it, it's never negative, it's always just, you know, singing, laughter, the drinks flowing. Um, I mean, I'm a massive UFC fan, and obviously because of Conor McGregor, Ireland just take over wherever he goes. It's just nonsense, it doesn't matter. They went to Brazil, I think it was two years ago now, to fight, he was fighting there, but Ireland took over Brazil there, just because he was fighting. And it seems to be whatever their sports sportsmen or women are, that, you know, they have an army behind them. And it just it lightens the whole place up. I don't know. Now, like I, I, I have friends from home who went to Vegas and whatnot for you know for McGregor fights, and they were paying like I mean you know grand and a half, two grand, uh, easy like just getting there. Never mind what they spent in, in the time. And you know Irish are fucking crazy. They're crazy that you know that, that they love supporting their own, and you know they love being there. Being there's a, a, the, the big part. And, you know, like I, I've traveled about a brave bit, uh, more probably with the rugby than I have with the football um, for, for travel anyhow. And, you know, Ireland sort of united for the rugby. And we have like some of the trips we, we've had there, like uh, it's, just, it's just out of this world. And even, you know, the Heineken Cup for, for the provinces and whatnot. And, and, you know, it's not uncommon that uh, maybe, you know, Ulster and, and Munster or Leinster will be, you know, in France and, you know, in close proximity. And, and you'll meet up, and and the crack that we have wherever we're abroad is just it's just mental, and the locals just want to get involved with us. It's like you know we're we're creating the party, and the locals want to be part of it, and it's something I suppose it it's a bit nuts, but it, it happens everywhere you go. Like, yeah, I, I see, I I did uh, quite a few pods with the Euros last year, and uh, you know when you get talking to people covering all different countries, and it was it was great. I I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that part of it. I enjoyed watching it and it was great that following on from a good World Cup in 2014, we had another good international tournament and a you know, really good standard. But the abiding memory of it is the fans and that's, yeah, it's the Irish, it's the Welsh and it was the Icelandic as well. It was, oh, it was like, you know, everyone's memory of the tournament will be the fans of the underdogs and... Uh, it, it was it. There was something about that. It was great. That was a, that was a spectacle as well. The Iceland fans, they, they were fantastic. But yeah, seeing seeing groups of fans partying together, not rioting, just partying. It's I, I see that, and I think yeah, for me, that's what it, international football. You know, these international tournaments. That's what it should be about for me. Andy, I think that that is the major difference. If I look at uh, Brazil in twenty fourteen and the Euro sixteen inside the stadium had fans 
I think maybe the distance, you know, for, for, for European countries and whatnot coming to Brazil, the fact that there was a bit of turmoil here and whatnot, and, you know, people were saying, don't come. And, you know, there was a lot of negativity reigning around it. FIFA certainly didn't help with that. And then there was, you know, will it be ready? Will it not be ready? Put an awful lot of people off. And I think for that reason, that, you know, the Euros were a resounding success because of, of where they were. If the next World Cup's in Europe, Russia, I'm not so sure about it. I could be proved completely wrong. I am hope I'm wrong on it. But, you know, France 16, really, I hope, set up for what we should see in, in Russia in 18, um, the year coming. But as I say, it was lacking. Inside the stadium, that atmosphere was lacking in Brazil. Certainly outside in the streets, it was magnificent. But Euro 16 was way beyond what, what the World Cup 14 was in atmosphere inside stadiums. Yeah, and, and obviously, nice for yourself as a proud Northern Irishman to uh, to witness your team doing you proud as well as the fans. As Ali said, you know, you you don't have to be uh, an international football fan or you don't even have to be a Northern Irish fan to have known the Will Griggs song. And it did. It just caught everyone's imagination. And it was it was one of them things. It's it's like the you know the three lines of Euro '96. It, it was the song that would be synonymous with that tournament. As much as I dislike England, I, I envy you that song. I think I've said it before. Yeah, <laughs> I envy you that song because it, it's just a magnificent football anthem. You know what I mean? Well, I'm sure there can be a Harry Kane's on fire for uh, 2018, or uh, they'll find something that that can go with Harry Kane. Good luck with that one. <laughs> Guys, can I just be very rude and end on a, on a super positive? Um, it's just something that happened today, and, and I would just like to mention it. Um, yeah, go on. It's, it, we, we had the, the match today between uh, Barcelona and Chapaconese of Brazil, who had their team wiped out um, in an air crash at the end of last year in Colombia. And the one survivor there, Alan Roussel, actually made his comeback in a game today. And I think that that is probably the positive of football for 2017 for me. And, uh, you know, it, it's sort of pointed that I'm doing this pod on this day and, and it's just happened. And just sort of congratulations to him and, and you know, all the best. And I hope he can, I hope he can get back into football again uh, and, and get playing for the team again. You know, he's the only one, I think, that survived the crash that's ever going to be able to play uh, football again. So I just would like to wish him luck and congratulations on, on coming back and playing. Yeah, I'd... A poignant way to to end the show then. Um, just on our way out then, Dave, uh, we won't forget this week. Because um, I'm not a hosting. Piece, <laughs> <laughs> a piece of a piece of music of your choosing of your choosing even. So, um, what is your piece of music, and which moment does it take you back to? Right. Well, it takes me back to the World Cup in '82 because I found this. Uh, I, I found this album. Just in and around that time, it was with summer holidays off school, and one of my mates had loaned me uh, one more from the road from Leonard Skinner. And as I say, we had a party after Northern Ireland beat Spain, uh, myself and my 15-year-old friends, <laughs> uh, which I ended up grounded for four months. And I ended up listening to this album basically for four months. And the standout song of it is Freebird by Leonard Skinner. And the long 12-inch version, the stoner version, even if you want to go that, to those lengths. But it, every time I hear that, I think of the 1982 World Cup. And, you know, it was really just, it was such a such a proud, proud moment in football for me with, with the Northern Ireland team with that. And it'll always, it'll always, that song, this music is always that for me. So there you go. So from uh, myself, Andy Wales, 
my, my co-host for tonight, Ali, uh, Ali Thompson, and our guest tonight, uh, Dave Karen. And that's it from uh, this edition of In My Life. And what, what a nice way to go out then. Leonard Skinner.